I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Opening on Broadway at the Knickerbocker Theater, September 18, 1925, Dearest Enemy, with music by Richard Rogers, lyrics by Lawrence Hart, and a book by Herbert Fields, was the first of eight book musicals written by the songwriting team of Rogers and Hart and book writer Herbert Fields, and the first of more than two dozen Rogers and Hart Broadway musicals. Dearest Enemy debuted during a momentous 10 days on Broadway, which offered the opening nights of the Lunts in Shaw's Arms and the Man on Monday, Catherine Cornell in the Green Hat on Tuesday, No No Nanette and Noel Coward's The Vortex on Wednesday, Dearest Enemy on Friday, Rudolph Frimmel's The Vagabond King on Monday, and Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's momentous Marilyn Miller vehicle, Sonny, on Tuesday. There was a lot of heavy competition, and while Dearest Enemy was a modest hit, it's no wonder it got a bit lost in that impressive crowd. The musical is a love story, based on a factual occurrence in little old New York during the Revolutionary War. On September 15, 1776, a lady on Murray Hill, Mrs. Murray, in fact, entertained the British Army's General Howe and his troops long enough to enable George Washington and his army, fleeing from their crushing loss in the Battle of Brooklyn, to meet up with reinforcements. Lawrence Hart got the idea for the musical from a plaque in Manhattan about Mrs. Murray. He, Rogers, and Fields first took their musical to Fields' father, producer, vaudeville star, and theater manager Lou Fields, to produce, but he declined, thinking a revolutionary war story would not be commercial. At the time, Rogers and Hart were unknown young songwriters, but in May 1925, they wrote songs for a charity review, the Garrick Gaieties, which became a surprise success, and their songs, including the evergreen Manhattan, were a hit. Ultimately, producer George Ford, husband of Helen Ford, who would become a star in the show, agreed to produce it. Ford presented a tryout of the musical, then titled Dear Enemy, at the Ohio Colonial Theater in July of 1925. After rewrites, it played for a week in Baltimore in early September 1925, before moving to New York, where it solidified the careers of all three of its writers. Now, before that other musical featuring Aaron Burr and George Washington in the cast, here on the November 10th, 1952 episode of The Railroad Hour are Eileen Farrell, Gordon McRae, John McIntyre, Janet Waldo, and Kurt Martell in Dearest Enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, The Railroad Hour. our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents a distinguished musical hit by Rogers and Hart, Dearest Enemy, starring Gordon McRae and his guest, lovely Eileen Farrell. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. 
And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, I'll bet you never thought of New York City as a battlefield, unless you happen to be fighting your way onto the subway during a rush hour. But tonight we're going to tell you in music about the days when bullets were really whizzing up and down good old Manhattan Island. Eileen Farrell will be singing the role of Betsy while I put on the crimson coat and the white bandolier of Sir John Copeland, captain in the colonial army of His Royal Majesty King George III. And so curtains going up on Rogers and Hart's Dearest Enemy. But in 1776, it was treason to be a Yankee doodle. And our regiments of British redcoats were getting ready to teach George Washington a lesson and make the Yankees pay the taxes on their tea. We British had a plan, a very clever plan. And the rebels in New York City were mightily worried by their British gunboats anchored in the Hudson River. Betsy, I'm afraid. We should have gone to Philadelphia with Uncle Joseph. Run off from the redcoats like a flock of scared geese... That's no way to win a war. But we aren't soldiers, Betsy. We're women. Well, women can fight if they have to. Why, if the British land here in New York, should we leave our house for them? Let them move into Murray Hill bag and baggage without a fight? Not on your life. Listen. It's the gunboats on the river. The British must be landing. Oh, dear. Well, we'll fix them. What can we do, Betsy? Two helpless women against the whole British army? Jane, you take Uncle Joe's fastest horse ride up to General Washington's headquarters. Yes. And tell him the redcoats are landing in Manhattan. But what will you do, Betsy? I'm going to sit here on the front porch with Grandpa's musket and the first redcoat that sets foot on our geraniums, I'm going to shoot him dead. Well, get your musket polished. Here they come. Cheerio, little mother of mine. Don't be weary over the sea and the homeland. Anything I am happy to do For the king, for the country and you Cheerio, I will hold you again With your weary old little head on my shoulder Soon the wind will blow homeward Oh, so cheerio, cheerio Cheerio, little mother of mine Don't be weary over the sea and the home The country and you. Cheerio, Cheerio, I will hold you again. With your weary, weary old little head on my shoulder. Soon the wind will blow homeward. So, Cheerio, Cheerio. Abadi! Oh, Abadi! You'd better halt, you. You redcoat, you. My dear lady, would you mind putting down that gun? 
It isn't very hospitable. You'll get no hospitality here. And if you come closer than that geranium bed, I'll pull the trigger. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, I would. Look out. It didn't go off. (laughs) Of course not. There's more to firing a musket, my dear lady, than closing your lovely eyes and squeezing the trigger. You didn't pull back the flintlock. I didn't put a bullet in it either. (laughs) I just hate that noise. (laughs) Oh, you're a fine little rebel. Well, I guess you realize your war is about over now that we've taken New York. Well, maybe you've taken New York, but you won't capture Murray Hill. Oh, is that what they call this house? That's right. And any redcoat that comes uninvited will have to answer to Betsy Murray. You know, I like that name. Betsy. May I introduce myself? I am Sir John Copeland. You are an enemy of my country. And you are an enemy of mine. But, Betsy, haven't you heard what the good book says? Love thine enemies? Well, I don't love you, and I never will. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure about that, dearest enemy. By and by, not now, but by and by, somehow we'll try and buy a little nest. Scheme a while, when lonely dream a while, twill only seem a while. Delays will come The bright sun's rays will come From out the sky Every cloud just flies on Love is on the far horizon You'll be my sweetheart By and by
how about it, Betsy Murray? Will you do a friendly enemy a favor? My commander needs your mansion for his headquarters. You go tell your general that redcoats are not welcome at Murray Hill. Well, as you wish, Miss Betsy. We'll find other quarters. Never let it be said that a British officer forced his presence on a beautiful lady. Did you see General Washington? Yes. He says you must keep the British here as long as you can. What? Open up our house to them if we have to. Beg them to stay with us. Oh, no. Anything to keep them from attacking until our troops are ready for battle. General Washington says it's frightfully important. Oh, Jane. I just sent them away. You didn't. Well, I'll simply have to get them to come back. Oh, Captain. Sir John. Yes, Miss Murray. Uh, I've, uh, I've got to talk with you. Well... What do you want? You wanted to use Murray Hill for your headquarters? You made it quite clear that we're not welcome. What, you want to know the funniest thing? I've changed my mind. I know a merry place of coming intrusion. It's just the very place for your seclusion. on this sudden change of heart, Miss Betsy. Why, you did, Sir John. You were so gracious and gentle. How could my sister and I be rude to you? We want you to stay at Murray Hill as long as it pleases you. Well, thank you, Miss Betsy. You are most kind. General Howe, Captain Copeland reporting, sir. At your ease, Sir John. I've arranged to establish our headquarters, sir, at the mansion on Murray Hill. What? Intelligence advises me of the Murrays are fantastic rebels. Oh, they were, General. But, uh, well, Miss Betsy was unable to resist me. Mm. Sir John, I think you're improperly vain about your persuasions with women. One kiss doesn't turn a rebel into a Tory. 
That, sir, depends upon the kiss. Young man, our sentinels suspect that the Murrays obtained a message from General Washington. That is what melted her resistance, not your kiss. Oh, you, you think so, sir? Don't be downhearted, my young Casanova. We shall make our quarters at Murray Hill to learn what Washington is up to. But your Betsy, I promise, is a rebel to the core. So that's it. I thought she loved me, but she was only pretending. Here in my arms, it's a adorable, it's deplorable. dearest enemy in just a moment. Now that the excitement of the political campaign has subsided into history, one of the most significant results of the election stands out clearly. No matter how forcefully Americans feel about their candidates before election day, they stand united after the results are in. And that is one of the very important characteristics that makes America great. The willingness of all its citizens to do as they are doing now to march forward as a united people to the greater promise of the future. And playing an essential part in that forward progress is one of the great unifying forces of the country, America's railroads. For it is the vast network of rails knitting together every section of our far-flung country that has enabled us to marshal our rich resources for the greater good of all our people. Without our railroads, we would still be a continent of separate and isolated communities. But when more than a century ago the Iron Horse started its web of steel rails throughout the country, America was on its way to becoming one nation, indivisible, and destined to greatness. Wherever the Iron Horse went, communities, farms, and industry followed in its tracks. And America was off to a rolling start toward perhaps the most exciting and fruitful era in history. Today, the almost incredible productive might of America, the system that makes our way of life possible, depends for its very existence on the continent-wide all-season service of the railroads as they haul more tons of freight, more miles, at a lower average charge than any other system of general transportation in the world. And as a unified America marches ahead to an even greater tomorrow, the railroads, the cornerstone of our transportation system, will continue to play their essential role in that progress. For it's clear that the better we live, the more transportation we need and that no other form of transportation can match the inherent efficiency and economy of trains of cars pulled over tracks of steel by locomotives. Hey, Porsche Light fans. 
This is Carmen Gonzalez, Development Director. Thank you for listening to WPMT. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration and hope you enjoy the show. Now here is Act Two of the Lawrence and Lee version of Rogers and Hart's Dearest Enemy, starring Gordon MacRae and his guest star Eileen Farrow. <laughs> We moved our British headquarters into the mansion at Murray Hill. And although I knew that the bewitching Miss Betsy was only trifling with my affections, I couldn't stop myself from falling in love with her. Whether she really cared for me, it was impossible to tell. For I knew that her smiles and kind words were merely to advance the cause of independence. Good evening, my handsome Sir John. I'm surprised, Miss Betsy, that you can see anything handsome in a British uniform. I thought that... You would prefer a ragged continental. Oh, how peevish of you, Sir John. If you act like that, I'll only dance with you once at the party tonight. No, you won't dance with me at all, my dear. No? No, I'm afraid I shan't be here. Nor will my regiment. You're marching? Tonight? Don't you wish you could warn your rebel friends? Oh, excuse me. Where are you going? Well, do you mind if I tell my sister so she can stop the plans for the party? <laughs> Jane, what is it, Betsy? Sir John just told me. The redcoats are attacking tonight. Oh, oh then we must warn General Washington. What's the signal? A lantern in the north window of our garret. The general said to let it shine for the count of ten, then put it out sharply. That will tell him that the British are leaving Murray Hill. Jane, you light the lantern, and I'll stay with Sir John and make sure he doesn't interfere. Oh, Betsy, this is so exciting. Sir John? Yes? Uh, we're sorry you must leave us. I'm afraid your sweetness is wasted on me, Mistress Betsy. I know it's all been for show to delay us here. Well, I admit it was at first. But now, I'm honestly sorry to see you go. Don't you believe me? <laughs> no. But I like the candlelight in your eyes when you say it. Then perhaps you'll believe this.
That light against the trees. Oh, it must be the moon. It's a lantern in the garret window. Oh, no. It's a signal. Please, Sir John. That's how we put out signals to your rebel generals. No, you sent the signal. I sent it? Ten seconds of lantern light from our north window and then darkness. That's what we agreed upon to tell General Washington your troops were advancing. Your bullet, Sir John, was perfectly timed. All that charming song of farewell. That was just to keep me from seeing the lantern. No, I really am sorry to have you leave. Save your lies, you little turncoat. I've got a battle to fight and a war to win. Dearest enemy. Sir John, will I see you again? Have you heard the news, Betsy, about General Washington's great victory? Yes, I'm glad the war is over. Perhaps Sir John will be coming back to Murray Hill. No, there have been too many bitter battles and bitter memories between. And yet, this is the by and by he told me about. Remember? Murray. I, I'm deeply honored, General. Please, don't bow. It is I who should bend my knee to you. I can tarry here but a moment to pay an old debt of gratitude. For without your brave signal lantern, I couldn't have known of General Howe's surprise attack, and this happy day of victory might never have come. You do me too great an honor, General Washington. It seems your heart is heavy when it should swell with pride. Why, Miss Betsy? Tell me, General... Is it treason to love an enemy? Our enemies of yesterday have become our friends of today. By any chance, dear General, do you know of a British officer named Sir John Copeland? I knew of a knighted British captain of that name. He wasn't killed. No, little patriot. 
Do you know there are surprises generals like to present other than medals? Listen. It's adorable, it's deplorable that you were never there. Oh, Sir John. The war is over, Betsy. And I have one more command. To arms, dearest enemy. To arms. All in. Lovely Eileen Farrell will be back in just a moment. And meanwhile, our thanks to John McIntyre, Janet Waldo, Kurt Martell, and to our entire company. Dearest Enemy, with music by Richard Rogers and book and lyrics by Herbert Fields and Lawrence Hart, was dramatized for the Railroad Hour by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this same time by the American Railroads. Marvin? Imagine yourself taking an 8,000-mile trip by train and seeing in person how the railroads move America's myriad products of farms, mines, forests, and factories. That's the kind of a trip a 12-year-old girl takes in a fascinating, fast-moving story to be dramatized by the television program American Inventory next Sunday afternoon. To produce the show, camera crews were sent throughout the country to make vivid, on-the-scene shots that add up to a program you won't want to miss. See it next Sunday over many NBC television stations. Consult your newspaper for time. Thank you, Marvin. And now here again is our charming guest, Miss Eileen Farrell. Wasn't it fun, Gordon, reliving the American Revolution in music? Well, it certainly was, Eileen, and I didn't mind a bit surrendering to you. But now that the story's over, you can lay that flintlock down, gal. Well, who's gunning for you next week, Gordon? <laughs> well, Marion Bell will be our guest, Eileen, and we'll be singing another glorious Rogers and Hart score as we peek backstage at the ballet for On Your Toes. Well, I'll hang a signal lantern in my window, Gordon, to warn all my friends not to miss it. Thank you, Eileen. Good night and come back real soon. All aboard! Well, dear friends, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, and so until next week, and On Your Toes, this is Gordon McRae saying goodbye. Dearest Enemy was presented by special arrangement with the Tams Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Fatima. Our choir was under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music was prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Until next week, this is Marvin Miller saying goodnight for the American Railroads. Now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC.
Today's star, Eileen Farrell, was an American soprano who had a nearly 60-year-long career performing both classical and popular music in concerts, theaters, on radio and television, and on disc. NPR noted, quote, she possessed one of the largest and most radiant operatic voices of the 20th century, unquote. The Daily Telegraph stated that she had a voice, quote, like some unparalleled phenomenon of nature. She is to singers what Niagara is to waterfalls, unquote. Janet Waldo, who played Jane, was best known on radio as the title character in Meet Coralus Archer. In animation, she voiced Judy Jetson, Penelope Pitstop, and Josie in Josie and the Pussycats. John McIntyre, who played General Washington, appeared in 65 theatrical films and many television series, and is best known for having replaced Ward Bond as the star of NBC's Wagon Train. Starting in 1940, he appeared in films, including Call Northside 777, The Asphalt Jungle, Psycho, Disney's The Great Mouse Detective, and his final production, Turner and Hooch, in 1989. Dearest Enemy was never made into a major motion picture, but a television musical special featuring Cyril Richard, Anne Jeffries, Robert Sterling, and Cornelia Otis Skinner as Mrs. Murray in an adaptation by Neil Simon was broadcast on November 26, 1955 to popular response. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. Thank you.